Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Community is Aminorane podcast, proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health. My name is Gareth Oliver. Great to be with you again for another week. And thanks for joining in for part two of our discussion with Kath Herbert, who is a Bridges Out of Poverty trainer, around inequality and wealth distribution and how it relates to poverty. So if you didn't catch last week's one, if you didn't catch part one, uh, head back to wherever you get your podcast from and have a listen to that because it's well worth a listen. And jump on and have a listen to this week's episode because it's another great episode and another really fascinating insight into poverty. Uh, and we've still got a long, lot of ground to cover, so I'm sure Kath will be back in the podcast very, very soon. This is The Community Is Our Middle Name Podcast, proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health. Grampians Community Health is here, of course, for you, your family, and most importantly of all, our community. You know, compared to, I often think way back when when my older sister got her housing commission house, it was basically a rent-to-own arrangement where they paid a, a lower rent that they could afford and part of that was they were paying the house off if they chose to. So over time, you could pay that housing commission house off and it was yours. And there's I've read lots of stuff where people don't want to go back to that, but to me... When you've got 93% of homeless people crying out for somewhere to stay and one in nine houses with nobody in it. And the other thing about Victoria New South Wales was that it handed over uh, the business of, a, of a providing affordable housing to property developers. And, you know, right. sorry. We're not there for the public benefit, are they? They're there to make money. And, and when you're making money, you don't build a $25,000 house. You build a $600,000 house or package or whatever. So this this new council is going to be giving a national view. I'm just reading off this. An authoritative voice that will in, uh, advise, interpret and monitor what's going on, but also give good transparency to what's happening with the federal government dollar that goes to housing. And I think that's really important, what's actually happening with it. It'll provide good data and evidence around what's happening and also serious discussions about what we need to do around new construction. You know, I keep hearing things like there was one in Melbourne where people with larger blocks were being encouraged to build a small house or a granny flat, I'd call it, in the backyard as a rentable rentable option and people were making these that as, as an investment thing. But And, you know, I remember a lovely lady at that training that we we were in together in stall saying to me, you know, I've got all these spare rooms, you know, like I've got two spare bedrooms and, you know, my heart wants to say a homeless person would be welcome to come and stay in one of my bedrooms. But, you know, I always say, hang on a minute, be careful about the Mother Teresa reaction (laughs) because are you supporting the person to be owning their own house? Are you putting them in a sustainable thing? And I know I've heard that as an option of people opening up their holiday houses to people who didn't have houses, of people making their spare rooms available or whatever. And look, in a disaster, that's what we do. 
Um, but let's not waste for a disaster. What's what's the sustainable response to housing? What did your housing people say? If, if they had an answer, then mm. I'm sure that uh, they would have jumped on one. The, the, yeah. the problem, one of the things that, that our housing staff have talked about as well is, you know, and, and you, you touched on it, the lack of rentals in this part of the world. They they're constantly banging their heads against the wall because there is simply nothing available. And we, we you know, we mentioned earlier on about people moving from the city, especially to regional areas or to coastal areas, but we had a real tree change during COVID. I remember doing some stats uh, for the previous year's housing week and some of our staff went and spoke to local real estate agents and they were saying that per month pre-COVID they would have, you know, 12 to 15 people looking for rentals. That jumped to around 50 per month looking for rentals. And uh, I also did some some uh, research because I'm a professional, of course, Cass, around uh, renting, median rents and median house prices in uh, Arat, Stall and, and Horsham. And uh, it was really, really interesting. And I got, I got these stats from propertyvalue.com.au and they go from sort of July 21 through to June 22. So they're fairly up-to-date stats. You know, you look at, uh, Ararat, for example, where my hometown, where I grew up, uh, 28.8% rise in housing costs in that 12-month period. And it's similar, um, stall 29.1%, Horsham 27.6%. For areas like Ararat and, and stall and these sort of working class municipalities, that's a, that's a big jump. And for people who are local people who are trying to break into the housing market, that makes it very, very difficult. I'm, I'm feeling the resentment word happening as I do presentations. In the last six months, I'd say, there's from young people who were wanting to, as you say, break into, get themselves a house to have their kids and whatever. There's a resentment going on that, that is growing. And that, that's the concern that resentment isn't, isn't an, a positive way to be approaching what we need to be looking at in terms of you know, we've looked at, at, at inequity in income and then inequity in who owns what, but then inequity in being able to have a shelter to live in, you know, that's that's not Australia, you know. It worries me. And and I can see that in I'm thinking of groups that I work with in the last couple of weeks with because it very quickly segues off into, well, it's not my problem because I'm not doing it that you know, I'm doing it tough too in my own way. Therefore, I'm because I don't ask. When we look at poverty, it's not about going poor bugger me. It's not about you need to have more compassion for people who are doing it tough. I, I just see it as a reality that how as a as a, a a country of people who do have excellent social justice and do have real Medicare and all sorts of caring NDIS etc. How do we um how do we pull together to go, how can we make sure someone's got somewhere to sleep every night? Like, that isn't demeaning, etc. that helps them grow their skills in, and helps them feel better about themselves, etc. Because the crisis is very real, you know. And it, as you said, what is the answer? You know, like, my simplistic one is thinking back to when working class people like my sister got one of those housing commission houses, uh, people are worried about creating ghettos, but I, I remember that being a very supportive community of people who, when it stopped being supportive, was when people didn't have work. 
when people got up and went to work and the kids got up and went to school and the mums had part-time jobs and the mums did a lot of drinking of tea, which is very gender and, and politically incorrect of me, but it was this, I can remember those women, and yeah, a lot of people would perceive them as tough, but what does that mean? But women who really supported each other, you know, with looking after kids and if someone was sick, they'd get into it and make casseroles and, you know, help each other. So, and that's, community is your middle name and that's my thing too, that how do we build communities where everyone lives well? Because I think we're sliding in Australia and we're not all watching that slide, you know. I met a fellow in one of my trainings who had, it had taken him six years and $20,000 to get permanent residency in Australia. It's a, it's a, it's a hassle, tassel to get permanent residency. He's going back to Scotland and taking his wife and kids with him because he can't afford a house here and he can't afford that he'll get a better job by going back. So what happened to the £10 POM enticement of come to Australia where you will have a house with a front yard and a backyard? Not anymore, you won't. You're right. And I must admit, when you talk about community, it's something that where, where I live is a little you know, a very small town, small community, and there is that real sense of community here. Uh, but I think that's that's fairly rare. And I, I can say also, having recently been overseas, we were recently in Fiji, and there is that real sense of community. Everyone is is friendly. Everyone says hello when you walk past them in the street, whether you know them or not. As soon as we got back to Melbourne, we we knew we were in Australia because there was none of that. It's it's almost everyone for themselves in a lot of places and it's you know if someone is doing it tough uh you know if, if they are struggling if they're having issues with poverty it, not only is there that sense of shame still i guess for some people to ask for help but then there's also that looking down that a lot that of resentment. people do yeah that resentment that you talked that you touched on about well you got yourself into that mess you get yourself out you know how I show a film that's pretty close to the bone about what it's like to be doing it tough in Australia? And I always uh, introduce it with, you know, I worry about showing this because it can be quite confronting to people. And just last week, a lady sent me an email. That's why I keep showing that video. And she said, don't take that video out of your presentation because that's how I grew up. And she said, it really brings home, it's not a matter of choice for a lot of people. It's how it is. Um, and I think that's really important to, to say to Australians, it's not a matter of choice to be in lane one for a lot of people. It's what's a whole series of, of things that have happened to them. That's cycle, isn't it? And I know uh, in, a, in a previous job, I worked in uh, in education department and you could see it. You, you saw mm-hmm. that this was the poverty cycle and people who had grown up in it, to them that was their normal. Uh, mm. what, what you and I, and one of my few things I took away from my two failed university degrees, Kath, is that, uh, there is no such thing as normal. It's what I learned in no. sociology. Uh, yeah. but then, yeah. yeah, cause, cause you, you and, you and I, our normal, our, our nice, you know, middle class normal is, is very different to someone who is in that perhaps working class and their normal or someone who's in, in that sort of, uh, leafy inner eastern mm. Melbourne suburb normal, you know, it's, and that's something we, we don't tend to think about. And there's always been a layering in Australian society um, and there, there's lots of good research coming out about that because people want to go, oh, no, we're all the same, we're all equal. No, we're not and we never have been. There's always been layering. But, you know, this weekend we went to regional areas near us and, and to small communities 
like you said, that were just wonderful, just people who were really supportive, who said g'day, who went, oh, no, that isn't where so-and-so lives either. You know, like a sense of knowing and sharing, which, and it's funny, COVID, I think, sociologically brought some good things along with that, where people did take notice of who was home next door and whether the old lady three doors up was okay. And and But why do we wait for a tragedy to have communal behaviours and to have a strategic plan? Like, it's the same as your personal finances, et cetera. Where, where our, what's our plan for housing? Because we've got to have one. And I, I'm hoping it does come. Yeah, we're back on housing. I'll just quickly touch on rentals and yeah, rental sure. prices. Um, this is, of course, also for propertyvalue.com.au the last sort of 12 months. So our at rural city rent in that 12-month period went from – this is a median rent, of course, so we're not talking about high and low end. We're talking median stuff. Um, $292.50 to $345 across that 12-month period. Interestingly, though, Kath, it, it remained flat between – August of 21 and February of 22. And I know that some people, and I can speak to a family member's experience with this, their landlord froze their rent because it was COVID and people were doing it a bit tougher, which, you know, is a lovely thing to do, I think. There's also um, legislation to, to, to freeze rent. There was a lot happened in the rental area over COVID that was legislated, that was brought in to rethink about that, which was okay. good. I didn't, I didn't realise that. In, yeah, when, have a look at the ACOS report. It talks about that because when those um, rental assistance and et cetera were, and, and different legislation around rental was taken away, um, there's been a, a big hardship in what people are experiencing. That, that makes sense because it went from, for that sort of, that August to February period, which is what, about six months of remaining the median price an hour at around $300. From February 22 up until now, it's jumped to 345, the median. Um, and I found, uh, Horsham was interesting. That went from 310 to 360, but it didn't flatten out like Arrant and Stall. It sort of remained on a steady uptick. Uh, Stall was also interesting. The median went from 300 to 330. However, it peaked in April at 340 and is now dropping back down, which perhaps could be bucking a trend. I don't look. I haven't gone too far into that rabbit hole, but I just found that that interesting. And when you are, like I said earlier, in areas that are fairly working class and traditionally been working class, you know, um, Stall was a mining town, Ararat was built on the railways, and, and you have that cycle of, uh, of of poverty and of people, you know, living within their means, it does make it hard to keep people in these areas. Well, the thing is, too, that statistically what it is, is if you, if you pay more than a third of your income on accommodation, you're, you're going to find the rest of your cost of living just um, out, of, out of touch with what you can achieve. And there's many people paying 50% of, uh, or half of their income going out on, um, on accommodation. So, and it, it brings home that thing, too, of how difficult it is to be a single person. Um, whether you're, whether you've got dependent kids or not, being on your own and only having one income coming into a household is just about not doable anymore. And, and we're getting, you know, two sisters living together in, in the one house and, and having 
one's got four kids and one's got five kids, you know, and you've got nine kids growing up. And the house I'm sitting in right now, nine kids grew up in it, but it was a very different sociological arrangement than what was happening here. Yeah, and when we were talking about these prices as well, I must stress again that they're median prices. So you might be going to look for a place to rent in Ararat, and it's not necessarily going to be $345. It could be $290 or it could be $450, you know. And that, that availability of housing as well, as we touched on, is uh, it's it's just not there at the moment, Kath. So, yeah, that's 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 massive. And I, I don't know if we necessarily think enough about housing and its effects on on poverty. And, and I said to you in our session we did, uh, of Bridges Out of Poverty. We also spoke about this on the podcast a few weeks ago that I know there's people here in my little town, population 350, who are homeless, mm-hmm. uh, who, like we touched on, are living in their caravans down at the local footy ground. Or we had a person here at one stage who lived in the scoreboard at the mm-hmm. local footy ground because it was a roof over their head. And mm-hmm. that was, you know, better than sleeping out under a tree somewhere. Uh, do you think there's too much of a blind eye turned to this stuff? Well, I think because of the size of your community and, and its, and its communal behaviours, you're aware of what's going on. You know, like I will go to suburbs and places and towns and, um, where people are, just have no idea of what's happening for other people. And it's not out of any vindictive thing. They just haven't stopped and thought about it often, uh, about what's actually happening in our little part of the world, which is what the Bridges stuff is about how can how can we work together so that everyone can live well. Yeah, it's it's sort of breaking people out of looking in their own little bubble, isn't it? It is, it is. And 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 also it's a real minefield. You've got I've got to be really conscious of working on walking on eggshells because that person who says, My God, I'm we're just gonna only have to survive on two cars and, and I I need the person to look after my kids, my live in nanny, and I'm gonna to have to let that person go. That might be their first experience of having to not have something that they've always wanted or that they've always had. And so to be able to discuss with them that that's not actual poverty, that's a kind of in your head what's happening for you circumstances change that makes you feel like, oh, well, that's a different, I'm going to cry poor. Um, No. And it's being clear about what we mean by what's happening, I think. You know, I'm the eternal optimist about all this because, you know, I mean, I, I see Australia with with our Medicare and with our NDIS and that member being just so proud of being an Aussie when they brought in NDIS because we do care about people with um, disabilities or and we do think that everybody should be able to see a doctor and go to a hospital somewhere, you know. And all that's getting a shaking at the moment too, which isn't good, but but it's there. It's I feel very positive about it. Yeah, well, you're, you're right. I know the, in our right, the, the local bulk billing, um, GP has had to shut down. And so has the one in Avoca because TriStar, uh, went, went bankrupt. Then that also leads to a, a whole other discussion around health and poverty yeah. because if people can't afford to go to the doctor, then their health's going to suffer, which will put more strain on the hospital system when they eventually get to there. So that, that could yeah. almost be a whole other podcast, I think, Kath. I think it could be. Yes, yes, that'd be great. We're theoretically on our way out of COVID. Of course, we know the COVID numbers are still high. I haven't checked what it was today. I usually keep a bit of an eye on that. But a few weeks ago, we were in the 10,000 cases 
daily. Are we still seeing that effect economically, do you think, Kath, from COVID? Um, I'm really not sure. I, I'm thinking that the incredible cost of living that people had to face and the inflationary element around, around the cash rate, the, the inflated way that that grew, is just as important as looking at interest rates. And I think what's happening on the ground for individual people, just being able to make ends meet, remember we did a, a, an activity on that, has, is, continues to be really difficult. Um, and continues to leave just survival um, gaps in what in how people can feed their kids and themselves well. And I don't see that getting better in a hurry. And yet, juxtaposed to that is, we're being told we're one of the wealthiest countries in the world, and we've got extreme wealth growing through housing. But you know, I remember saying when the house prices first started going up. If you sell your house to get out of debt and you haven't got anywhere else to go, you've lost a key survival element of shelter, you know. So the numbers that are going on and, you know, I remember having great conversations in stall about, well, where's everybody gone? How come, how come so many places are closing because they haven't got staff? People are making such different life choices and choices around how work looks for them. Even the work from home element I heard a, a program about saying that the number of people who want to work from home doesn't equal the number of employers who want them to work from home. There's a shift to that uh, and there's quite a, a tension about how that's working for people as people are expected to go back to work, to into the workplace. And our, our neighbour who runs a, an aged care facility saying that she used to have one person on staff that worked one day a week. She's now got five people who want to work one day a week. And that's just not sustainable. Like I think COVID made us think, do I really need to work this long? Do I want to change my arrangements? Is it time I retired? All those things. It's brought a big shift in what's happening to employment. What's happening to how people think about being employed, I think, is another thing to be thinking about coming out of COVID and realising how much employment was filled by um people not from here too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting you mentioned about that, the working from home stuff. Grandfords Community Health are actually really good about it. I I work from home mostly. Mm. I go mm. into the office essentially to be social. Also, uh, my job is basically over a computer, so I don't really have to. And I think people discovered the work-life balance. And yes. there's been, been a lot of talk about the, the CBD in Melbourne's dying and all this sort of stuff. I mean, if people can save money, they can save time, they can spend more time with their, with their kids or out walking their dog or whatever by not sitting in a car for three hours going to yeah. and from work because you live out in Dandenong and you have to drive into the CBD. Mm. Why wouldn't you do that? That talk around what's happening to workplaces is really fascinating. And, yes, this program that was on the ABC was suggesting that a, a lot more people want to move to working from home um, than employers wanting them to go in that direction. So there's a tension coming there, I think, too. Me too. I mean, I, I enjoy going into the office. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy going in and, and seeing my work colleagues and, and saying good day to everyone. But, um, you know, it is it is nice to uh, to be able to work from home and pick, pick the kids up from school and do all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, in, interesting discussion. Kathy, we might have to leave it there for this one. I reckon this might be uh, a bit of a series of, of poverty podcasts. So... 
Um, well, some places I get called the poverty lady. That's okay. The number of people gone. Oh, I know who you are. You're the poverty lady. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of a double-edged sword that, uh, that title. Yes. Yeah, but I really appreciate you giving up some time to have a chat about poverty and and especially the uh, the COVID and wealth disparity stuff. It is fascinating, and uh, I hope everyone listening can take something out of it because I yeah uh, I certainly have and given me some food for thought. So thanks for coming on again, Kath. My pleasure. Thanks, Gareth. And once again, a big thank you to Kath Herbert from Hawker Brownlow Education. Kath is, of course, a Bridges Out of Poverty trainer. Always great having a chat to Kath. It's always really interesting and uh, some interesting stuff in both parts of the the uh, podcast we've just done. So like I said at the start of the show, if you missed part one, go back and, and have a listen to that. Uh, well worth a listen. And yeah, I, I would recommend finding out what you can and finding out what you can about your local communities as well and just what's actually happening in there. I did read somewhere that um, in our rural city, one of the local papers may have reported it, that uh, for a population of around 11,000, there's over 600 houses sitting empty right now. And when we know there's a housing crisis, it is something that we uh, we really need to stop and have a look at and say, why is, is this happening? Anyway, enough from me being on my soapbox. This is the Communities Middle Name podcast, and it's brought to you by Grandpins Community Health. Grandpins Community Health offers a wide range of services right across Western Victoria, servicing the following local government areas. The Northern Grampian Shire, Ararat Rural City, Horsham Rural City, West Wimmera Shire, Hindmarsh Shire, Yarriambiak Shire, Bull Oak Shire, Southern Grampians Shire, Pyrenees Shire and Central Goldfields Shire Council Regents. Services available from Grampians Community Health include alcohol and other drug support, carers support, family violence and men's behaviour change programs, aged care support and NDIS support, including support coordination and plan management, mental health services counselling across a wide range of areas, including generalist counselling, and much, much more. For more information on the services that we provide at Grampians Community Health, I would recommend going to our website, which is gch.org.au. Find out all the information on there about the services that are provided and a little spiel about what each one does as well. Of course, if you're a bit more old school and you want to actually talk to someone, you can give us a call Monday to Friday, 5358 7400. Or you can come into one of our three main sites in Ararat, Stall or Horsham, Monday to Friday, business hours, and talk to our wonderful customer engagement staff who will be able to point you in the right direction. You can follow Grampians Community Health on social media. So we are on Facebook, facebook.com slash Grampians Community Health, or just put in Grampians Community Health in the search bar if you don't follow GCH already. We're on Twitter and Instagram as well with the handle at GCH Grampians. And you can find Grampians Community Health on YouTube as well. So keep an eye on that. Just a bit of a soft relaunch of the YouTube channel recently. Um, If you want to find more episodes of this podcast, you can subscribe anywhere good podcasts are found, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, iHeartRadio, etc. 
If you are on Apple Podcasts and you'd like to leave a review, that would be really good. It makes our podcast easier for people to find and helps get messages out there that we feel, anyway, are kind of important for our communities to, to be hearing. The intro and outro music that you have heard and will hear is an original composition by Andrew Parsons, and we use that with his permission, and we thank him for that as well. And finally, we'd like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded and produced on the traditional lands of the Jabberwung people, and we pay respects to elders past, present, and emerging. My name is Gareth Oliver. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'll have more poverty podcasts coming up uh, over the coming months. So keep an ear out for that if you enjoyed these ones. And uh, if you like these podcasts, you want to go back and listen to some more, absolutely do it. We'll be back very shortly with a brand new episode though. So like I said, subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. It'll get downloaded directly to your favorite listening device. This is the Community of the Middle Name Podcast, proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health. And Grampians Community Health is here for you, your family, and most importantly to us, for, your, for yours and our communities. Till next time, so long.